Okay, well, Adam and uh, Matt decided to take vacation the same day, our same weekend, and they said, make sure you turn off the lights whenever you're done, so doing a little bit of everything. Um, so we've been going through Hebrews, and I know we took a week off last week, so I want to recap a little bit, but before we do that, I'm going to read what uh, we're going to go through today, which is a very meaty passage. I mean, if you've ever had meals that you eat that are just as chunky, it's, it's, that's probably not a good word. Uh, <laughs> Mikey looked at me kind of like the RCA dog there. Um, but it's, it's full of meat. How about that? So um, would you stand and let's uh, uh, read together Hebrews 7, 11 through 28. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change of the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belonged to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with the tribe of Moses, said nothing about priests. This becomes more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but on the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest by an oath By the one who said to him, the Lord is sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in the office. But he holds this priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once For all, when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priest, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who's been made perfect forever. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Um, Well, if you notice, turning your bulletins, I've got a, a pretty simple outline. Um, I like for there to be three points, but I have a few. Uh, It's still basically three points, but 
um, I've just added two in addition to that. So, um, so think of it that way. Um, you may notice that the sermon title says, um, Jesus Practically Perfect. And where does that come from? Well, if, if you're a... Um, if you're an old Disney fan, then you would know that there's a song associated with this that's Mary Poppins. Um, it says, um, I think, I'm not going to sing it, by the way, just so you know. Um, by the time the wind has blown the weather vane around, I'll show you if I can. No matter what the circumstances, for one thing, I'm renowned. My character is spit spot, spick and span. I'm practically perfect in every way. And then, of course, Jane says, practically perfect. And Mary Poppins says, and I guess she sings. So people say each virtue, virtue virtually knows no bound. Each trait is greatly and patently sound. I'm practically perfect from head to toe. If I had a fault, I would never dare to show. I'm practically perfect in every way. And then she goes on, and they clean the room, and then she sings about taking medicine with sugar. Um, but when we hear practically, when we hear practically perfect, You'd think, uh, really, the, the, the term is, she's saying, I'm nearly perfect, right? But when Jesus is practically perfect, it means that his perfection is, will make us, uh, will affect our practice. So I really want you to think of that way. And so we're going to look at this passage. And so I've got a couple uh, points in here. First, I really want to kind of recap what we've done so far, because one, it's been over a week ago. Um, and so, you know, like on, if you're watching a movie or a series, you can hit skip recap. Well, you can't skip this, so you just got to stay there and listen. So, um, but the really the, the recap of what we've said that while we're in Hebrews is it's saying that Jesus is better, that he's better than you can know. And it's who it's written to is really important to understand what Hebrews is about. So it's written to Jews who have become Christians. So they converted they, they see that Jesus is the Messiah, but now persecution is starting to arise. And the, if you know anything about that first century, Jews, and even before that, under the Roman Empire, because centuries before, some Jews stood up and sided with the Roman Empire. And they, because of that, one of the emperors gave them special religious status. And so Jews were a protected religious group. So when you became a Messianic Jew, you stepped out from under that protection of the Roman Empire. And now you levied yourself. You were open from assault from both Jews who didn't like what you were saying and the Roman Empire. And let's not forget, we, I think this was written before 70 AD, which that means before the temple was destroyed. And the emperor at that time was Nero. And if you know anything about Nero, he would actually, the, the term Roman candle came from what he did to Christians. He would actually dip them in wax or in oil, put them on posts around his garden, and then light them from the feet up. Gruesome, twisted, dark. And that's what he would do. That's what he did to Christians. And specifically Jews that converted to Christianity. And so the writer of Hebrews wanted to write this book, wanted to write this and say, I want to encourage you. I want you to continue on because the typical Jew that converted to Christianity was thinking at this time after persecution was coming, 
well, you know what? It won't hurt that if I still practice some Judaism, still go to temple, still go to sacrifice, and I'll quietly be a Christian. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, no, you cannot do that. That, that those are diametrically opposed. And so we have to view Hebrews through that lens. So whenever he says, and I think Michelle even quoted it today, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, about let us not forsake the assembly of ourselves together. And we as Christians in, in America see that as, we see it at least, let's just go to church. Make sure you, you go to church and you don't sleep in and eat cereal on Sunday mornings. But the way they were viewing it was, they were saying, no, you need to come out and, and show that and, and, and be with other believers. Don't go to temple anymore. It's, it's, it's opposed to who Christ is. He is the new, you don't need a priest anymore. He is the high priest, and that's where we are right now. And so, and you may even, uh, Kruger, who wrote a, a great commentary on this book, says really to understand Hebrews, you need to understand the sacrificial system. You need to understand what a priest is. And so a priest, for, for lack of a better term, is someone who's an intermediary, someone who is a, um, in between you and someone else. And so um, they had, in the Old Testament, they had lots of different duties. They were, um, they, would, they would keep care of the temple. They would judge Israelites, they would teach, and then once a year, one of the priests would be chosen. He would be the high priest. He would go into the temple, into the, the Holy of Holies, and would meet with God. And actually take, he would have to uh, sacrifice a bull and take that blood, and that was blood for himself, and that was blood for his family that he would sprinkle on the altar. And then he would also sacrifice a goat and sprinkle that blood on the altar or the, 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 the Ark of the Covenant. And that was for the people. And blood in the Old Testament was a sign of death. And so if there was blood present, then, then God knew, okay, something, someone died so that this person could enter into my presence. And we see that even in Genesis 3, after Adam and Eve sinned. It said that they were naked, as I would say in South Georgia, they were naked and unashamed right? And so, but then they sinned, they became very ashamed. And so they tried to make coverings for themselves. And so God went after them. And then it said he made garments for them out of skin. That means an animal had to die for their sin. Blood is a sign of death. And instead of that person dying, something else died in its stead. Well, that was the whole role of a priest was to say, okay, instead of the sin, you suffering the consequences of the sin, we're going to put that on this animal, this goat, this bird, this bull, and it will be on them instead of you. And so that was one of the roles of a priest. And there's different examples. Adam was a priest. Uh, Job, Melchizedek, Jethro, Aaron, his sons, Eli, Samuel, even the Sadducees and Pharisees, those, were, those are New Testament priests. And so um, I bring all that up because, the, again, I want you to keep that in mind that a priest is someone that's in between. Think of it from a mechanical standpoint. Some of y'all have had to have this happen. As Indian Trail and the, the different uh, cities around here get water towers, 
and they increase the, the amount of water pressure, you have to put a pressure reducing valve or else it's going to blow up your toilets, right? It's because the pressure is so much. Think of a priest as a pressure reducing valve. It stands between something much greater and something much less. I guess in this example, you're the toilet and God is the water tower. The priest is the PRV, okay? I really didn't think it was going to come out that way, but it's, it's apt. I mean, we're compared to sheep. So a priest is someone in between that, that uh, negotiates from the greater to the lesser and actually takes the lesser's concerns to the greater. In fact, the priest, I want you to get out of your mind, the priest with a clerical collar, and the priest of the Old Testament had turbans, they had sashes, and they actually had a, 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 like a breastplate that had 12 different jewels on it, representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And so it's a very good picture of them taking that in toward God, representing the people on their chest. And so they would sprinkle blood on the altar, again, a sign that something died so that they don't have to. Okay? So... What we see, a couple things. Uh, my first, first point there is Jesus is both priest and king because he is humble. Okay? So, in the Old Testament, that the, the, the office of priest and king were separate. Okay? Now, we do have a few examples of where priest and king were together. We've just looked at it. Melchizedek, um, he was both the king of Salem, but he was also a priest. Then we, we zoom back even further, and Adam was a priest and a king he ruled over eden think of eden as a temple and the 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 uh the tree of good and evil was the holy of holies and he was supposed to guard it and instead he he acted like he shouldn't he didn't guard the holy of holies he actually let uh, the serpent in as a result of it and so but but he was a priest and king. Melchizedek was a priest and king, and now Jesus is. But for the most part, we see those offices separated. And we, I even read in the Old Testament when King Uzziah, which was a great king, and a king supposed to care for people, provide for people, protect people, it was separate. So that whenever he tried to become a, a, a priest in the temple, they opposed him. They were the, the priests were there to protect the temple. And so... We see in the Old Testament that God kept those separate because oftentimes when you brought those two together, it, they, that person had so much power that that pride destroyed them, which we see that with Uzziah, that his pride destroyed him. We also see it in 1 Samuel 13 when Saul made a, the king Saul made a sacrifice and Samuel came up to him and go, and in and, and, and the same words as God approaching Adam and Eve when they sinned, he says, what have you done? He said, you have tried to be both priest and king. And so, um, Lord Acton, who you know, we probably all know the quote that says absolute power corrupts absolutely. Um, he said that he observed a person's sense of morality lessens as his power increases. A person's sense of morality lessens, decreases as his power increases. We also see this um, in literature in Macbeth, right? Um, that uh, Macbeth was a very, he, he was a very courageous general in Scotland. And so he comes across these three witches. 
and they, they give him a prophecy, and they're saying fair is foul, and foul is fair, and they say that, um, that no man born of a woman can kill you, and that you will be the king of Scotland. You'll be the king of Scotland one day. And so he couldn't hold on to this prophecy. It, it, it took over. And that's a major theme that Shakespeare writes into this play, is pride, hubrisness. And so what did, what did Macbeth do? He, he killed the king of Scotland, and he started killing others to and he was a good man, but he started to devolve, and he started killing others to hide that. And so we see that Shakespeare picked that up, is that absolute power corrupts absolutely. But Christ can be both king and priest because he is, he is humble. And we see this even in Philippians. If you're taking notes, you can put in there uh, Philippians 2.15. And in that, we see... I'm sorry, I said 2.15, 2.5. He says, have this attitude among, Paul says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself to become obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God exalted him. And we see this theme over and over in the scriptures, that if you exalt yourself, you're going to be humbled. And if you humble yourself, you'll be exalted. Even in Peter, it says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that in due time he may exalt you. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so if you don't live life humbly, then you're living in opposition to God. And humility is the gateway to growth in godliness. And, and we've said it before that pride is thinking too much of yourself. Insecurity is thinking too little of yourself. And humility is not thinking of yourself. It's thinking of others. And so Christ did that. Even a modern day example, Captain America and the Marvel's movie. The reason he was chosen was because he was not uh, a bad man. He was a good man. He was a humble man. And that's why I chose him, because the doctor who gave, gave him the serum said, if you're bad, it will make you worse. You can't stand this kind of power if you're a bad man. And so we also see that Jesus intercedes continually because of an indestructible life. That's a great phrase. He has an indestructible life. So when Christ died, he took away the power of death, even though we still have the presence of um, of sin here. And so what, what does that mean? That Jesus intercedes continually. Well, if you take a right and turn to 1 John 1, 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us all from unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you, you may not sin. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not only for ours only, but for those of the whole world. And so Christ is an advocate. Now what this is not saying is that Christ has to die, his death has to happen over and over. Or if you're a Christian and you sin, you don't say, God, forgive me. He's already forgiven you. What you, you do is you confess that you, you agree with God that you have sinned. 
And so there's, that's a big difference. And so right now, as a Christian, the power of, of sin has been removed from your life. But the presence hasn't. And so Jesus now is interceding at the right hand of God the Father for us as a believer every, every day. That's why it says he's continually doing it. He doesn't have to take shifts. He doesn't die. So that he, he dies off and maybe another priest comes. He's always there. And he's doing it for a different reason. It's not that he comes before God and says, God, please, you know, he's, she's really a good person. Please just, I mean, did you see that she was just at the Pampers and Prayers uh, on Sunday? Please just forgive her for this. God doesn't plead that. He, if you're a believer, he's saying, goes to God and says, my life for his or her life. And so he's pleading justice on your behalf. But you still sin, and you still need to recognize that. But he's an advocate that is praying for your sanctification. And so you don't grow as a Christian to get Christ. You grow from your salvation. And so Steve Brown used to say that he's a little bit more holy in habit today than he was yesterday. And he says that God loves him and God likes him a whole bunch. But he loves him as much as he had ever loved him. Right? God, God's not going to love you more because you do good works. He loves you as much as he's going to love you. Good works are, is, is a part of just out of gratitude, gratefulness to God. But he's interceding on your behalf. So you have a high priest that is doing that. Next, Jesus' priesthood is certain because he took an oath. So think about this. So he took an oath that Levites didn't take an oath. The whole reason they were serving as priests was because of who their dad was. They were just, they were, so when, when Israel went into the promised land, all the tribes got land. And they said, oh, Benjamin, you can go there. Gad, you go over there. Judah, you have this. But Levites didn't get any land. But they said, for, so that you can be taken care of, that's why we tithe. And the tithe will go to you. But you're going to take care at that time, the tabernacle and eventually the temple. And so they were born into it. They were born into taking care of it. But Christ was not born into it. He was from the tribe of Judah, which was a tribe of kings. But now he is in the order of Melchizedek, but he took an oath that says, I will be here always. So the reason he, again, the writer of Hebrews is talking to, to Jews who knew that priest would die and then another priest would take their role. But right now he's trying to say, no, Christ is a better priest because he's never going to die. He's certain. And in fact, he took an oath. And I, I want to read this, that God never breaks his promise. And when he swears an oath, he gives an extra degree of assurance. Jesus will always be your high priest. God is not changing his mind on this one. He will never back out. Jesus will always be there in interceding for us. And so, oath, this is just grace for us. So, God earlier said, I'm not a man that I should lie. So, whenever he said that Jesus is going to be your high priest, we should take that as word. But he also knows that our number one tendency is to doubt the heart of God. 
Think about this. Whenever you're fearful, whenever you're anxious, whenever you get angry, you're doubting what's happening is for your good. You're doubting that God is there. You're acting, oftentimes, I'm acting like a practical atheist. We don't believe that, we don't believe God at his word. So he, he knows that and he, he said, I'm going to take an oath. And we even see this oath in Genesis 15. And I think Adam's talked about this before. And, and Matt has as well that whenever, that's when Abraham was there and he cut all the animals in half. And that was in, in that time, that was called cutting of a covenant. And you'd walk through it and blood would be everywhere. Blood would be on your feet and sandals. And you'd say, so may it happen to me if I break this oath. But yet Abraham didn't walk through it. Only God walked through it. That is an oath. That's a blood oath. And that's what Christ has done for us, that he is always there. And so I know a lot of us struggle if we're believers. You struggle with, am I really a Christian? Or I don't feel like a Christian today. And we have assurance problems. This passage was written for your assurance that it's certain that Christ has took an oath. And if you're his, he's interceding for you. Well, lastly, I'd say this, that Jesus is the perfect priest because he was the perfect sacrifice. So high priests, they sprinkle the blood of bulls and goats, and they did this for their own. But think about this, that Christ went in with blood to God that was not for him, it was only for us. So Christ died the death that you should have died, and he lived the life that we should be living. But now he gives it to us. He satisfied, God, Jesus' blood satisfied God's demand. So you don't have to add to it. You don't have to get your life right so that you can grow as a Christian or so that you can become a Christian. That, that's like saying, I'm going to go take a bath so I can get clean, so I can take a shower. Right? God says, no, come to me the way you are. Come to me the way you are. I will clean you. My sacrifice is enough. There's nothing there is no sin that is too bad for his blood to cover. Um, it is for us. When Jesus died for us, it tore the veil. Think about this. When he died, it tore the veil of the Holy of Holies from top to bottom. And now he's saying, I give access to God through me. And it was done on Passover. Even think about this last passage there in in Hebrews. Um, verse 26. For it was fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separate from sinners, exalted above the heavens. That, that innocent, holy, undefiled, those are words of Old Testament that define what an animal should be whenever you bring it to be sacrificed. And the prop, God was getting mad with the Jews when they were bringing sacrifices and they were they had, a, you know, they had a tumor on them or they were, had three legs or they had a, you know, an eye missing or they had mange or leprosy. And he said, no, bring me the best. Bring me something that's holy, undefiled, separate. And that's exactly what Jesus, um, who he was. Well, lastly, I'd say think about this, is that when you became a Christian and, and I became a Christian March 3rd, 1991. So I'm coming up on whatever the math is, 33 years. 
in March. And I remember praying that night. I came from a fraternity meeting. And um, it was a Sunday night. I went up to my room. And, um, and I said, God, you can do whatever you want. Take over my life. It's got to be better than what I'm doing. If you want me to be a monk, and I prayed this, if you want me to be a monk, and if you want me to move to Africa, I'll do both. I'll be a monk in Africa if you want me to. Um, I don't want to be, but even if it means that, I will do it. And that's what I call a blank check prayer. It's like, and I know some of you, if you're less, if you're younger than 30, you don't know what a check is, but it is a piece of paper, right, that you can write almost any amount on. It's got to be in the bank. And you write on there who it's to and how much. But a blank check is you would just sign your name to it and just say, put whatever amount you want. Whatever it takes, God, whatever you want for my life, take over my life. That's, that's the salvation prayer. And believe it or not, that's the sanctification prayer. And by that I mean what it, takes for you, what it took for you to become a Christian, Christian is the same thing it takes for you to grow as a Christian. You submit to God and say, God, you humble yourself and say whatever, whatever it is you want. And so if Christ was, where in your life are you not being humble? If someone confronts you, do you get, do you get angry with them? Do you, are you defensive? You know, do you need, are there some areas of your life that you need to confess sin? That you need to agree with God that some things are, are sin? Um, do you not have assurance that you're a Christian? Or assurance day-to-day, and it's really based on what you do or don't do, how your performance is. Then your, If that's the case, then your performance is your priest, not Jesus. Jesus has performed for you, so you don't have to. Where in your life do you need more hope? Here's the beautiful thing. Jesus has taken away the power of sin in your life if you're a Christian. And he promises one day that we're all, as believers, will be a kingdom of priests. That's another way to say you'll be a king and a priest in heaven. And I don't know what that means. I don't know what we're going to rule. I don't know how we're going to intercede. But we're not going to be chunky cherubs floating around doing nothing. We're going to have responsibilities. We're going to be ruling, subduing, doing things that we love with people that we love forever. And it's not going to end. It's going to be like a a family reunion you want to be at right? Um, And so Jesus is our high priest that gives us a great example of who he is because he was humble, um, because he is certain. He's taken an oath that he gave us grace for that. And don't forget that his life is the perfect sacrifice. Um, Let me pray for us and uh, we'll end in prayer or end in song. God, thank you so much for this opportunity to hear about how you are um, of the order of Melchizedek, that you are a priest that intercedes continually for us, and that you're not pleading so much mercy, you're pleading justice before at the right hand of God. You're not pleading from a standpoint of weakness that you're going to die one day. You have an indestructible life. You've been resurrected And you're now at the right hand of God, interceding on our behalf. Thank you for that, God. And as believers, we we have all the rights and privileges of children 
of the king of this universe. And one day we'll be able to be kings and priests. God, thank you for that, God. And I, I pray that um, if, if we do know you, that you would really, Spirit, work in our life to, to scratch out some the issues in our life that are impeding us from saying, laying it all on the line and saying, whatever, God, whenever. And if we don't know you, God, that for the first time in our life, we would really lay it all out and, and write and, and give you the check of our life and say, okay, God, whatever you want, your way's got to be better than my way. I've been a terrible king and priest of my own life. You take over and be the king and priest of my life. In your name, amen.